Hello and welcome to Back to Work. During the month of March, our podcast is focused on women making strides in the tech, life sciences, healthcare, and engineering fields as part of a four-part series. I'm your host, Joe McIntyre, and on this episode, we'll be exploring women and their experiences in the life sciences industry. Joining me for this episode is Caitlin Root, Senior Business Development and Diversity Specialist in Yo's Specialty Practices Division, specializing in life sciences. Caitlin, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Joe. Happy to be here. Awesome. So first, can you talk about what inspired you to pursue a career uh, in life sciences, uh, specifically life sciences recruiting? I love working with people, and I really have always wanted a career in something that felt meaningful uh, and felt like I was making a difference. I'm sure you, a lot of people might say that, but there, there really are fewer things that feel greater than telling somebody they got the job. You know, you can change people's lives. You can save them from homelessness. You can help give them hope and self-worth. Uh, I know that sounds kind of dramatic, but I, I really have. I've seen it all happen. I've I helped a trans woman break into tech. I've uh, helped a person that had a stutter win their dream job and give them the confidence that they needed to to move forward and, and win that job. Um, and I've, I've helped people that have been without work for months on end that are desperately looking find that that next opportunity. And it's just um, it's very rewarding. Certainly, life sciences is, is an industry that's constantly evolving, constantly changing. How do you personally stay up to date with the latest trends and innovations in life sciences and recruiting specifically? And are there any resources that you rely on to kind of stay informed? A lot of it really comes from having conversations with my clients and with candidates. As you said, the industry is always changing and evolving. So those conversations are really a firsthand opportunity to learn not only what they're doing today, but what they're looking to achieve in the future. Uh, and that's really where my education starts. From there, it's research. You know, I take that information and try to spin it into, well, how would this apply to other clients or the industry or the economy and where we're going? So uh, I listen to podcasts like Breaking Bio. Uh, it talks a lot about bio and investing. Uh, there's news outlets like Biopharma News Guy. He's kind of funny, um, does a, a Thursday post. I set Google alerts for specific uh, accounts or clients that are out there doing big major things so that I know kind of up to date what they're doing. Read the Times or the Journal, Wall Street Journal. And um, yeah, I mean, anything I can do to get my hands on information, attend um, events, anything like that. Especially in the life sciences industry, which is certainly a complex one. Do you feel that as a recruiter, uh, and as someone working in staffing, I guess, generally speaking, it's critically important to be up to date in the industry to show the people you are trying to find jobs for that you understand the industry, you understand what they're looking for, and you kind of can foresee where this industry may be going in the next five to 10 years. Absolutely. No one could predict COVID, but look how much it's affected how we you know, interact and live our day, our daily lives. So, you know, those are kind of outlier events, but science in general is involved in everything we do see touch and engage so from you know the science of computers to um you know the life sciences to everything in between there's not a, a moment that goes by that you're not engaging in something scientific now what do you think generally speaking are the most important qualities for someone who's working and recruiting and i guess how have you developed those qualities in your career well i think naturally being inquisitive is really important I always want to understand the why behind things. So I ask, a t I've always asked a ton of questions. So I think, yeah, naturally inquisitive is definitely one of those, those traits. 
Um, being persistent and organized are two other things that I think are important for the industry. In my job, I have to follow up with people, you know, uh, sometimes you got to chase people and that's okay. Uh, it's not their job to do what I'm doing. So um, that persistence is important and that kind of leads into the organization of things of how I kind of build systems that work for me to make sure that I'm not missing any of the million details that are flying at me in any one day. So, um, you know, I've got tools like OneNote that I use consistently and I'm, I kind of stay organized. But I think the biggest thing for me is, um, and I even have a post note that says this, don't take it personally. <laughs> you know, these are big decisions that people are making for themselves in their lives and it doesn't always work in your favor. And it's not a, it's not a personal thing. Um, you know, what a company needs and what somebody else is looking for don't always align. So uh, it's a good reminder that we can be all of these great things, but uh, it's, it's not personal if they don't work out. How long did it take you to uh, embrace that mantra of it's not personal? Did it come right I'm, away or did it, took, did it take years? <laughs> no, I'm definitely still working on that <laughs> mantra. Uh, hence the post-it note. It's a, it's a good reminder. Yeah, for sure. So we are recording this uh, during Women's History Month and specifically on International Women's Day. I want to talk about kind of your experience as a woman in the recruiting industry. How has it been, um, certainly for you personally, uh, as a woman in this industry, and how do you think it's been different from what your male colleagues have experienced? Ooh, you know, <laughs> uh, being a woman in sales in general is is always interesting. There are, I think, kind of historically men have been given different adjectives that have helped encourage them to be more more bold and assertive, where women as a whole might be made to feel more meek or quiet. So that I think kind of as a baseline is men kind of have a leg up, not always, right? But um, they kind of have a leg up. But I think, you know, in my role, I see, I interact with a, a, a lot of men, um, you know, both internally and externally, a lot of key decision makers are male, which is really interesting. But I approach relationships with people known or unknown as humans. You know, I I don't know just because you identify as male or female that you are going to be one way or another. So I really try to engage at a personal level and get to know somebody for who they are. Um, that said, I have been in situations where I've gone into a meeting and I might have a male counterpart with me and I'm the one taking notes and making sure that everything is written down and organized and the two of them are having a conversation. Um, that happens a little less now that we're, things have kind of changed and gone digital, interestingly enough. I don't, you don't always see who's looking at who um, <laughs> when you're on uh, screen. So, you know, that feels a little bit different, but um, you know, everyone has to kind of fight for their space to be heard and to be considered an SME. And I think some of that comes with your own confidence in your ability to, to deliver and to, to be an asset and, and a value add to the clients and the people you're working with. Yeah, um, do you think it's a an extra challenge? I mean, it can, you've kind of just mentioned that it is, um, but to be a woman in sales and also have to kind of go above kind of what you think um, or what a, a male would have to do in that situation. So you mentioned, um, you kind of can fall back on taking notes, but you really have to kind of jump ahead um, sometimes and 
Uh, I know we've heard, I'm sure, a lot in the media and research backs this up that sometimes that can come across in one way when a woman does it and a different way when a man does that. So how do you kind of approach the need to kind of balance the fact that you are a leader and you've been doing this for many years with the fact that you want to come across in, I guess, the best way possible? It's a challenging question, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to take control of a conversation as much as possible. And I think, you know, when you sit down and you start a conversation, it's important to outline, regardless of who's in the room, who everybody is, right? Um, and whether my t- my title has senior in it or, or not, you know, my role is X and I do this, their role is Y and they do that. So when we're engaging, this is how we're going to engage and really just laying the groundwork to that. Um, Everyone has unconscious bias. You know, that's something that that's a whole nother can of worms. But you've got to, you know, sometimes kind of confront those things. And I do think by addressing uh, who who is who helps to kind of, you know, kind of nip that in the bud to start. Yeah. You mentioned this a little earlier, but where is the life sciences industry in terms of gender diversity? And I think most more importantly, how has it changed uh, during your career and maybe over the past three or four years since um, since 2020 and since COVID started? Sure. Um, I think like almost every, if not all industries, they're definitely still figuring it out. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with how we're looking at diversity as not just gender or um, ethnically diverse, but it is access to education and what that means for diverse perspectives access to um, physical settings. For instance, folks working in a lab, somebody that might be in a wheelchair may not have the ability to work as well in a lab and how do we adjust for those things. Um, Neurological disabilities, gender identity, sexual orientation, I mean, all of those things, you know, play into what diversity is. So when you're, when you're looking at diversity in the sciences, it's, it's, it's a broad stroke, it's a broad spectrum. So I think it starts with leadership and we're starting to see that shift and change although with the economy shifting yet again some of those you know diversity programs and stuff like that are kind of going on the back burner but the momentum's there people want to see this change people want to be a part of these conversations they want to um, do more in their work environments and be heard and be seen and and feel respected and safe and the more organizations understand that and start to offer these environments or create these environments, the more successful they're going to be in the long run. Obviously, you're a diversity specialist. Uh, so how do you approach diversity and inclusion in your work? Do you have a sort of, sort of a statement or a, um, I don't want to bring up the term mantra again, but do you have a mantra that you live by when it comes to uh, diversity and inclusion and making sure that you are helping to um, attract and retain a diverse talent pool for for Yo's clients. Yeah, one of the things I say in the the ERG groups and when I'm I'm speaking with folks regarding diversity is you do not have to understand to accept. You know, um I think I think a lot about that like about that a lot in science where I'm not a scientific person, but as I'm talking to these scientists and about the work that they're doing I don't understand it, but I absolutely accept that this is, you know, these are the SMEs, these are the people that this is their lived experience. They've done the studies, they've done the work. So, um, you know, when it comes to recruiting, I feel like everyone's worth a conversation because you just don't know what you don't know. Um, and our job is really to advocate 
not only on behalf of our client who needs this person and understanding who they're looking for, but for the candidates, right? Like I had mentioned before, um, getting a trans woman, you know, helping her break into technology or working with someone that had a speech impediment, um, land their dream job. It's it's really what does what does the job really require of this person and do their skill sets, diversity aside, meet those requirements? And how do we kind of take those blinders off and look at this person as a whole person and not just, um, uh, you know, kind of checking boxes? What are some of the maybe misconceptions that you've seen that people have either about the importance of diversity and inclusion initiatives or um, just general diversity in the workplace? Uh, I'm sure there are plenty out there, but what are some of the biggest that, that you've seen and have to kind of fight against uh, in, in your role? I think one of the bigger ones when I talk to students especially is that they they have to have a PhD and they have to be at the top of their class. And that's you know something when I work with employers is you want people that have that different perspective, that that have that different lived experience, because they're going to bring that to the table and help broaden your scope of research and development or um, therapeutics. I mean, it just it varies across the board. So there are there are t- so many different opportunities within the sciences that don't require that PhD that you could get away with a bachelor's or even sometimes an associate's degree. Um, and that your perspective, I was at a networking conference um, with a, a woman who was Indian and she said, oh, I'm on a, I'm on a visa and I don't think people want to talk to me. And she's very meek. I said, your, your perspective matters. You know, your experience matters. And just because you're on a visa doesn't mean that someone shouldn't talk to you. It's important that you, you know, you bring that to, to work and how your experience really kind of plays into the work you're doing and your, and your why for being there. Let's talk about Yo's work in in this space uh, a little more specifically. How do you think Yo empowers uh, you? I think as a woman uh, specifically, but just in general, um, how does Yo kind of step back uh, and make sure that it's providing equal opportunities for the people that are serving as recruiters, serving as business development and salespeople, um, and then also the roles that you're filling for um, for clients? How does Yo um, make sure as an organization that it's doing its part there? I'm really fortunate in that I get a ton of autonomy in what I do, and that's really how I work best. You know, give me give me outlines uh, as to what you're looking for and and what you want delivered, and then let me go run wild and figure out how to do it. And I'll come back when I have questions, and that really works for me. Um, I couldn't, I would not work well with someone standing over my shoulder constantly questioning me. Like it just, it doesn't work <laughs> for me. It so. Would. Yeah, I mean, they really make you feel like you own your own business, that you're you're and backed by a larger conglomerate. So there's a ton of support and tools available to you. Uh, I love our ERGs. I think they do great work day in and day out. They're constantly evolving um, their messaging and understanding. And as as I've been with the organization for almost three years, I've seen them really grow and take shape. And having those conversations is is really beneficial. Because when you talk with clients and you're coaching them on gaining talent and market share and staying relevant, those are relevant conversations. And they often ask, you know, like, well, what are you doing and how are you approaching this and how can we get better at that? And so you're able to kind of take what we do internally and pivot that and offer suggestions um, to, to how they're approaching the market. Yeah. Finally here, Caitlin, um, we've 
talked about a lot of progress or a decent amount of progress that's been made uh, in, in this space so far, whether it's recruiting or life sciences in general. But certainly we have a long way to go um, in terms of diversity, making sure that we're hiring um, people from diverse backgrounds, diverse skill sets, uh, all sorts of things. Where do you think this space kind of needs to go? Um, what work still needs to be done um, and how should it evolve over the next few years? So that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I, I think it all starts with investing, um, investing in our communities and women-owned business and ethnically diverse businesses, getting funding from private equity companies to two different resources, investing in the education of our children, specifically young girls and underserved communities that don't necessarily feel like STEM is for them. Um, and there's countless ways to do that. You know, from there, building strategic relationships with local and nearby communities that allow for a more diverse pipeline of candidates. And that, again, goes back to how we kind of started the conversation. Diversity isn't just about ethnic diversity. It's about gen norms and, you know, income and where, where people come from and bringing, you know, their lived experiences to the work that's being done. And that's going to lead to just um, a more in-tuned approach to business and relevant science. You know, we can't just do science for this one particular group it's gotta it's gotta cover everything so yeah investing in those communities and those um diversely owned businesses are really important caitlin before we let you go uh can you tell our listeners the best way to get in touch with you if they have any questions about the industry want to get into it uh, or want to partner with you yeah certainly uh i can be found on linkedin i'm on there quite often it's caitlin root uh you can always shoot me an email caitlin.root at yo.com I am also giving a presentation for the Oregon Bioscience Incubator here uh, in Portland on July the 18th. We're going to be talking about diversity in sciences, um, and I'll be joined by the women in science as well. So uh, that would be a, a really fun opportunity to just kind of listen in on how diversity is influencing the space here in Oregon. Wonderful. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast and talking about the strides that women are making in the life sciences space and the work that still needs to be done uh, in this industry. To hear any past or future episodes of this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen in. For Yo's Back to Work, I'm Joe McIntyre. Thanks for listening. <laughs>